with a word of prayer uh, this morning. Father, we would love to have more tongues than we have so that we could sing all the praises that are due to Your name, but we have the one tongue that You have given to us, and so with it we will praise Your name both today and forever. And we look forward to spending eternity with You and reveling in Your glory and in Your mercy and in Your unending love. And we're thankful that we can experience a portion of that even now, uh, a, 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 a portion of Your mercy. And, and uh, we thank You that You love us and that You care for us, that You know all that's going on in our lives. And we pray that You would help us to have that kind of a love for the lost, that we would uh, have a heart to see them come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Lord, give us that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're now at our 12th class together, and I hope that you've uh, crystallized your understanding of evangelism, partly by seeing it uh, less as a separate piece of Christianity and more as a part of your normal Christian life. That is, that biblical evangelism is simply a part of following Jesus. You know, if we don't have a concern for the lost, then, then why do we even call ourselves Christians? I mean, we should have a heart for the lost and, and recognize that our lives should reflect that, that we want to see more people become uh, honorers or uh, people who glorify God with their lives. Just as we saw with the Apostle Paul, uh, we need to be equipped, motivated, and available, that, that we need to know what we're doing, what we're getting into. We need to be motivated that we have a desire to do it, and we need to make ourselves available. And, um, and, and when we do that, uh, we start to see God do some things through us. It doesn't come from, that is, evangelism doesn't come from a program necessarily, but rather in developing and uh, establishing and developing relationships with an aim of making much of Christ. And so I've tried to focus not so much on cold call evangelism and evangelistic programs, which can be useful at times, but but rather what I think is the biblical, most most biblically um, accurate model, which is a cultivating evangelism as a lifestyle, letting it seep into all of your life, letting the, it affect your relationships. And so, practically, that means that we've looked at how to turn conversations towards spiritual issues. We're going to review that today. How to share the gospel, and then how to handle responses that our friends and family members and coworkers will have. And that is what we're planning to do uh, today. Whenever you give the gospel, the person to whom you are sharing will respond to it in one way or the other. And we are going to look at five particular responses that people have, basically five summary responses that people have. And we're going to respond to their responses. So how do we respond to how they respond to the gospel? And that's our purpose for this class today. There is a natural process to this friendship or relational evangelism that as you begin to have conversations with friends, then these conversa- conversations often lead to questions, and then these questions lead to a required response. Like, when they start to ask questions, you respond, and as they start to understand these things, then you have to call them to a response. And if that's the case, then we need to know where to go from there. And so we need to be equipped 
and motivated and available in all three of these areas. Conversations, just carry on conversations with unbelievers. Questions, asking them questions and answering their questions. And then handling their responses. And we'll briefly um, summarize what we've looked at for conversations and questions. And then we'll talk about how to handle responses uh, for the rest of our time this this morning and then also next week as well. Okay? So first, turning conversations. First, we need to remember what we learned about turning conversations and answering questions because many of us as Christians, we will flounder in personal evangelism because sharing religious ideas in conversation sometimes seems unnatural or forced. You know, it's like, oh, i, I got to say something here. And, and uh, in many cases... In many cases, this problem exists because of uh, the compartmentalization that we have in our thinking. I think in our thinking also and in, in their thinking um, that people tend to compartmentalize. In other words, we think, okay, we have family, work, you know, recreation, and church or God over here. And so we're over here talking to our unbelieving friends about family and that we can relate. Okay, we can relate here with with work, we can relate here with recreation. And it's like, well, we're talking about these things and now we need to jump over to here, which they don't have a base over here. So we're, we feel like we're forcing it onto the conversation. And what we need to see is that that really uh, religion, which by the way is not a bad way to call Christianity. Um, remember James chapter 1 says, true religion is this, what is it? Visiting the widows and orphans and their needs. Okay, so... So James calls it a religion, so we don't have to shy away from that word. But the idea is that our religion, our understanding of Christ uh, should be in all these other areas and we should be able to take some of these areas and naturally move toward Christ because all of life is about glorifying God. And we, so we should be able to point people to God in that way. So we gave the example of um, the, uh, Jesus at the, woman of the, uh, at, at the well with the woman. And remember, it was the way that I explained it then was it's like you have one foot in each worldview, okay? One in the in a in the in their worldview, we call it a secular worldview, and one foot in our worldview, the Christian worldview, okay? So we have a foot in each one, and we're trying to find out what things could help bridge the gap. Do you know what Jesus used? What was the one that Jesus used from her worldview? It was the water, okay? And Jesus says, okay, here's an opportunity for me. To, to explain to her something about spiritual water, water that, that will never require her to thirst again. And so he bridges the gap by, by spanning those worldviews. And that's what this little uh, target here is for. Uh, we move from common interests to immediate questions to abstract questions. And you can see what those are down below. This is just a review of what we've already looked at. And then explanations and then applying theological truth. Paul did the same thing with the, with the people at Mars Hill when he when he used what they had in their secular worldview, the unknown God, and he takes that and says, Okay, let's talk about this God, okay, that you don't know. In fact, that is that that is no God at all. That's a false God. And let me tell you about the real unknown God that you need to know. And uh so he bridges the gap in that way. So that's the turning conversations and, and that's something that, that you will uh, you and I will get good at over time that, that's going to require some practice on our part. That, um, 
you know, as we start to see what kind of things our unbelieving friends talk about, then we start to think while they're there talking about them and while they're away. Remember I said what often happens is people tend to talk about the same things that they're most passionate about. And so we can walk away from a conversation saying, man, I wish I would have said something about God. And we can we can evaluate that situation and be ready for the next time that they talk about that because people are passionate about the same kinds of things over and over again. And we can help turn the conversation toward toward uh, a conversation about God. And it, it's often helpful to do that in the form of questions. Okay, any questions or comments on turning conversations? Let's see if I brought up a book. I didn't bring it up. Yes, Greta. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Hey, you're Christians, and I don't far from it. Mm-hmm. And so the few people that I have really, really focused on my prayers and witnessing and with the help of another young man that wants to go back to Christian, because I won't just take on a male mm-hmm. who's about Christianity by myself. I need to bring someone mm-hmm. to Yeah, that's a difficult tightrope. Right. I want him to feel how I feel. Mm-hmm. But I haven't found the right word. I've given him the word, you know, we've been in school a few times and we need to get it, and then he kind of gets dragged down by this other guy. Yeah. One. Anyone have any thoughts on what you would do in that kind of situation, Paul? About what a Christian is? Helpful distinction is if it has windows. It's not a bar.
I know churches like that too. They only hire Christians. Yeah. How many other people either work currently at a job where you have other people who call themselves Christians and live like the world, or you did at one time? How many? Okay. So, so we, I mean, pretty much everybody here has been in a situation like that. Um, so we, we, I mean, I, I remember a specific person who was who was uh, an unbeliever and was constantly talking about the secret handshake at Jackson Dawson and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, there, you Christians, you all have this, you know, special relationship, and, and we do. But then he would point out one or two of these Christians that were part of our circles, and he would say, what about them? And th- that is a difficult question to answer because ultimately we're not trying to defend all Christians. That's not our job. Our job is to stand stand up for the sake of Christ and speak for Him. Okay, We speak on behalf of Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. We don't speak on behalf of Joe Schmo, who calls himself a Christian and lives like the world. So we'll let his actions speak for himself. We don't even have to condemn him. We don't have to condemn him in front of the unbeliever. What we do need to say is this is what Christ says a disciple looks like. He said it requires that you take up your cross and follow Him. That you die to your sin. That you put that kind of stuff behind you. That you do not live like the world. That's First John, you know, um, that 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 we should not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. Um, for anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, I mean, that speaks for itself. So that will speak to that situation. Leave that alone. Keep making sure that your um, that your testimony is right, like you have been doing. And I wouldn't worry so much about. Him and the other thing you can is if they ask you specifically about him, 
Uh, one helpful response I heard, um, actually from a TV preacher I was watching one time, and I don't even know what his name was. I don't know if he was good or not, but his response in this situation was was excellent. Uh, he had a person who came up to him and said, "Listen, you know, I can't accept Christianity because I've got I, I know of a bunch of hypocrites. You know, that people that call themselves Christians and then they live like the world, and so I, I just can't buy that." And and he said, "Well." What what job do you have? What what kind of work are you in? And the guy said, well, I'm a car salesman. And he said, do you know of any um, corrupt car salesmen? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much redundant, right, for the most part. And he's like, yeah, I do. And he said, well, what about you? Are you a corrupt car salesman? And he said, no, I'm not. I'm, I, I'm trying to be upstanding, and I feel like, you know, I tell people like it is. And, and he's like, so is it possible that that um, there could be some good car salesmen, uh, even though you have a lot of people who are giving the, the occupation car salesman a bad name? Is it, is it possible that some people are actually um, uh, upstanding in, their, in the way that they treat people? And it's like, yeah, sure it is. And, he said, and basically, obviously, you see the connection there. The same thing is true about Christians. You know, we can have people who call themselves Christians and live like the world and they may give a bad name to Christians in general. You remember, because, I mean, just think about it. Catholics are call themselves Christians, too. So you have all sorts of uh, stripes of people who call themselves Christians. But many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, you know, uh, why, why can we not enter? And he will say, depart from me. You know, and the way that we know the difference is, how are they living? Are, are they living like the Bible says that they're supposed to live? And, um, and 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 let their actions speak for themselves. Unbelievers are not fools, you know. They, I mean, they are in one sense because they're blinded to the the gospel, but in the sense that they have the ability to use rationalization, uh, they they're able to uh, to understand things, and so um, so they can see through that. They can see through the okay, well, that's that's pretty shallow over here, but this man, this looks like this person really believes it. And everything that I've seen of this person, you know, when they when they sin, they they acknowledge their sin. You know, when they're they're remorseful, they they turn from it. They they move back on towards righteousness. They have a seriousness about about the scriptures and about you know church and and following Christ. Paul. Hmm. 
Yeah, so um, I think yeah, I think Paul's point is is good too. Ultimately, they don't have to be one to you in order to accept Christ. That's the other thing is we think okay, you know this guy over here, he's terrible. Don't don't go to Christ through him, you know. Um, and but look through me. I mean, obviously we should be spokespeople for God. I mean, we are supposed to be ambassadors for God. But ultimately, what we need to do is introduce them to Christ. Okay, ultimately you're not going to stand before me. You know, read of Elko on the judgment day and say, answer to me for how you responded to to me or how you responded to Christ. You're going to stand before God and you're going to you're going to have to answer based on how you have responded to Christ. So let's introduce them to Christ. Have you read the New Testament? You don't have to do the whole New Testament, but have read, have you read any part of the New Testament? Have you read the Gospels lately? Why don't you talk or why don't you look at at what how Christ is revealed there? And you know, I'll be happy to to go through it with you, you know, chapter or a week or something and and um and then um uh, then ultimately the responsibility lies with them that they have to respond to Christ. So yes, we should feel some kind of uh pressure in a in a sense to how we act and live and talk around them, but ultimately remember they're not they don't have to be one to us. They have to be one to Christ. And ultimately Two, God uh, actually wins people to Christ through people like this, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Bill?
Well, sometimes, you know, that's that's good, though. You know, just engage with these sorts of people through conversation and questions like, you know, Bill sharing, you know, um, just engage with questions. Okay, so let's let's think about this because sometimes they just do things. Well, hey, this is everybody, how everybody else at my church does it or this is the, how the way I understand it to be. And if you if you ask them questions, it, it forces them to to think, which, you know, many times they're not really thinking very deeply if they're thinking at all, and they're not thinking very biblically. So let's talk about some of these scriptures that speak to that, those kinds of issues. And then, um, you know, perhaps you could win a person who's a professing Christian along the way. And, and at the same time, you know, protecting the reputation of Christ over here because these people are calling themselves Christ followers and they're not living like it. So uh, certainly we could uh, we could continue and, and talk about that a lot more. And I think this has been helpful, but we need to move on here. So let's move to answering questions. So turning conversations and then answering questions. Let's take a minute to think through a helpful pattern that we learned two weeks ago. First, understand where the question originates. Understand where the question originates, which may involve some study on your part. Okay, so try to think through when they're asking you questions about the gospel understand what they're really asking. So when they're asking the questions, we talked about this, you know, when they're asking the question, why do people suffer? Okay, what's the reason that they're answering, asking that sort of a question? Are they trying to condemn the gospel? Are they trying to condemn God? If that's the case, you have a certain way that you need to respond. Are they genuinely trying to find out the answer? Uh, are, are they personally hurting right now and they're just struggling to, to, to figure out things? Okay, so understand where the question comes from. Secondly, affirm affirm a good question. When someone asks a good question, you know, this is what we tried to do with all those questions that we brought up. We, we listed several of them. You know, um, how can we know that Jesus is the only way? Well, you know, that's a good question. You know why? Because we want to make sure that we're, we're actually following the true and living God. We're not following some dead God that's going to lead us to nothing. Uh, or to, to lead us to final judgment. We want to make sure that we're following. So when you ask a question like that, that's a great question. So affirm that with them. And then finally, as you give a real answer, work to reveal Jesus. Reveal Jesus. Don't get sidetracked from what's important. Okay. Again, you know we can look at other people's uh, credibility and their lifestyles. We can, we can you know look at our lifestyle, and those those things are helpful and necessary to think through at some point. But the main thing is they need to be introduced to Jesus. One author, Kenneth 
Maresco makes a simple and good point on answering questions. He says, take time in answering them. In other words, don't be quick in answering a question and, or answering a uh, question and then moving on. Because questions are a primary means by which you can help people in the process of conversion as they think through major issues and come to their own conclusions. So, if they have a question and you immediately know the answer, instead of just giving them the answer, use the Socratic method. Anybody have any idea what that is? Socratic method? Okay. Socrates, former philosopher, he would often try to get to the heart of an issue by asking questions in return. And that would actually strengthen his argument. He would try to find out what he believed on a certain thing. Obviously, a Greek philosopher, not a believer. But, but his method is a good one. And I think it's it would be helpful for us to use something like that. When they have a question, you respond with a question. So, if, if you know the answer... Instead of just giving it to them and moving on, okay, I've got that figured out. They don't have it figured out. Okay? They need to think through why that's the right answer and so on. And so um, he, uh, he gives an example of how you might do that, perhaps in a group setting. If someone raises an, an objection, then what you could say is, is, does anyone else agree with that? Or if you're just talking to an individual, why do you think that's the case? You know, why do you think it's the case that Jesus was just a good man? Um, or, for example, if someone says, I don't think that God would send people to hell, you can simply ask, you know, I think a lot of people think that, but why do you think that? What, what do you base that on? What's the basis for your understanding of that answer, that God, uh, of whether or not God would send someone to hell? And so the ultimate end is to point people back to, if you look back at that, that uh, target there, you're trying to apply theological truths to them. And so you want to get them to be engaged with what God says. That's ultimately where you're trying to drive. That's the target, so to speak. What does God say about this? Because your presuppositions, your ideas of what is right and wrong, your ideas of how you can get to God, your ideas of whether or not there's a heaven or hell don't really matter. Okay, We don't want to really say it like that necessarily, but... but Ultimately, it is what God says. We need to find out what's the source of our truth. If it's because, hey, mom and dad always said that, or because my church said that, or because, you know, whatever. Uh, ultimately, it, it needs to be, uh, we need to bring them back to the Scriptures. So asking questions will help to fit well into our pattern of seeking to understand the question. Okay, so when they ask a question, why would a good God send people to hell? that when we respond with the question, we actually start to get to the heart of why they're asking that sort of a question. And again, that's going to take practice. And um, there are several strategies we can we need to use as we're doing this, by the way, and they're listed for you there. Be kind and gentle. Uh, listen carefully. And then be willing to admit that you don't know. Right? Instead of saying, well, you know, Christians, we as Christians, we know everything. We have the answers to all things. And in some senses... You know, we have the final answers for what God wants for all things, but there are also lots of unanswered things in our own mind. And that's why we can affirm questions. Bill. And I would say that that is 100% accurate for everyone who has been introduced to Christ. But there are millions of people 
on the other side of the world who have never heard about Christ and are being sent to hell, we could say, by God. I think both of them are true. God sends them to hell and a person sends themselves to hell. Even the ones who haven't heard, actually, because they are actually living in rebellious unbelief even though they've never heard of the means of escape. Uh, so, I would say I, I, I would say that that would be an accurate way to put it. That, yes, you know, the fact that God sends people to hell is true, but also, you know, a person is, is going there on their own free choice. You know, they they are... Um, they have a, a will and a uh, a choice to follow God, and they reject Him. They they are we we could say we are rebeller, rebellers of God, rebels. Um, and without the the work of Christ, we would we would end up there as well. All right. So when formulating an answer to someone's question, we should ask ourselves uh, four things, principles here under answering questions. Does it bring glory to God? Does it uh, does it bring glory to God? Is it truthful? Is it said in a loving manner rather than smug, prideful, victorious type of manner, manner like I know it, you don't, you know, too bad for you. Uh, rather, you know, done in a loving way. Just look at the way that Jesus often talks to people. Now there are some uh, some cases in which we should be a little bit uh, more. Um, I don't want to say condemnatory, but but a little bit uh, harsher in our tone when we're talking to cynics, particularly like Jesus did with the Pharisees. But in general, uh, people are just they just don't know, and uh, and we should be kind and and like we would want to have the gospel given to us. Secondly, does it lead to the gospel? Okay, it is better to head towards the claims of Christ as the answer to most questions. So take them to some solid ground. There's all sorts of fuzziness when it comes to the questions and what what to do and so on. And so help them by by moving them toward um, the solid ground of the truth of God's Word, the truth about Christ. Thirdly, does it answer the question behind the question? Remember, people have other agendas lying behind their inquiries. So try to look for uh, what's important to them. What is it that's driving them? For example, is there a moral issue hiding behind an intellectual question? Uh, many questions about God's love or marriage or dating might simply just be smoke screens because the person wants to live in immorality and continue to be single, right? They, they don't want to be tied down to a person, so to speak, in marriage. And so they're asking questions about marriage as a cynic, effectively. They don't really want to know the answers. And so if there's a bigger issue there, then that's what you need to to try to get that get at try to answer the question behind the question number four is it believable when possible frame the correct question uh, in a way that's understandable and and it fits within their framework okay so again they're thinking from a secular worldview you can't say things from your worldview that are going to guarantee going to be guaranteed to be accepted by them in their worldview but there are Sometimes when, uh, you know, this person in a secular worldview sort of mindset actually has a very strong belief in truthfulness. You know, they grew up, their parents taught them to be truthful. And so you can affirm that with them uh, and use use terms like that to, to help show that, listen, you know, that that's a good thing to be to be considering, but then move beyond that. All right, any questions? on turning conversations or answering questions.
All right, let's see if we can get done here in the last few minutes. Uh, response, or their res- our response to their response. Okay, so if they have a specific... If you give to them the gospel, how should... How how are they going to respond? There are basically five expected responses that you should you should see. First, a definite yes. Secondly, a definite no. Third, yes but not yet, or just give me some time. Then the fourth is on the fence, and then fifth, already a Christian. So if you were to give the gospel to any number of people, these would be the five expected responses, one of five that you would receive. Okay, so we're going to try to focus on the first two um, for the for the rest of our time here, the short time that we have left. And then we'll focus on the final three next week. Okay, so first, a definite yes. The first response that we're looking, uh, that we want to identify and think about how we respond when someone gives a definite yes is uh, to to help point them toward the truth. So, here here's a potential fall, uh, a conversation that we might have with a person who's responding with a definite yes. Okay, so listen, I've, you and I have talked for, about a lot of things. And if what I say is true, it leaves you with the choice that you can either live your way or God's way. So are you going to respond positively to the gospel? And the person says, yes, that's the way I want to live. I want to live God's way. I see that that is true. And then you say, which would you say that you're living right now? And you say, well, I, or the other person says, I, I'm living my way. And you say, well, well, don't you want to change? And they would say, well, yes, I do want to change, but what do I have to do? And here's kind of what we need to, to think about. Three things initially, and um, this is what we want to uh, to drive them through. This is not your blanks, okay? So I'm, I'm going to get those to you later. Okay, but three things that we want to, to get them to to think through. And these are things that they, they ought to be thinking through throughout their life. It is pray, confess, or, or pray, submit, and trust. Pray, submit, and trust. This is something you need to do initially and something that you should be doing on uh, in an ongoing way. First, you pray, confess your sins, start living God's way. Second, submit, start submitting, start living with Jesus as your ruler. Right? Take them to Luke 9 and show them that you know, to follow Christ is a serious thing. Do you understand what it means? That you have to give up your former way of life. You need to give up your sin and turn to Christ. And then thirdly, trust. Keep on trusting Him. And um, maybe the person responds by saying, well, I don't really know what to pray. And so when that happens, I would say, just say something like this. It doesn't have to be very complex. It can be something very simple and you can just lead them through a prayer. Now, now again, um, you know, it's not ultimately that they have to say the prayer in the right way in order for a person to be saved. But a person who does come to Christ we usually expect them to talk to God and ask Him for forgiveness and, and to help them move on. So, um, we want them to, to understand carefully what it means to die to their former self. Okay, that Not all conversations are going to happen like that. Uh, perhaps you've had conversations with people who have given a definite yes. I've had a, a few occasions to do that myself. And, and then I helped move them to the next step. Okay, if you are saying yes, you need to make a response. So what is that response? And those are the the three things. What we want them to see is uh, Mark Dever gives four points on how to do evangelism. He says we want to stress to them, uh, I guess it's three points, we want to stress to them that if they repent and believe, they'll be saved, but it will be costly. 
And then he says that if they repent and believe, they'll be saved, but they must decide now. And then thirdly, that if they repent and believe, they will be saved. And however difficult it may be, it's all worth it. So he, he wants them to understand the cost, the urgency, and the, the value. Um, because what we certainly don't want to do, when someone comes to us with a definite yes to whether they want to follow, follow God, we do not want to offer them a false assurance of hope for their salvation. Okay? Because they prayed the sinner's prayer. Okay? When people make a profession, it's a fine thing to do to pray with them, but then be clear that it's going to require us and them to evaluate their situation over time. We like to say, You're saved. Okay? And then what happens is we go back to this old method of you know, 15, 20 years down the road, person's like, I know I'm saved. And, and people say, well, how do you know? And they go back to their Bible and they look where they wrote, they, re- they prayed the sinner's prayer and they wrote the date on it. And Jesus would say, no, that's not how you can tell if a person is alive spiritually by looking at if they have a copy of their birth certificate spiritually, right? The way you can tell if a person is alive, are they showing signs of life? So, so it is completely appropriate to do in a tactful way and tell them quite honestly that time is going to tell whether their profession is true or not. I am not afraid to tell that to people. Okay, that, that we're, we're going to have to see what happens. Okay? Now, sometimes that can come across as, uh, one, we don't believe in the eternal security. Okay? But that is true from God's perspective, that once God saves someone, they are eternally saved. But from our perspective, we don't know if they're eternally saved. We can know if we, are, if we are individually, right? Because the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the sons of God. But, but even still, we need to persevere on, right? We need to continue on until the end. And so what we should make clear to them is, listen, your salvation is dependent upon you trusting in Christ, but not just this one time, okay? Not that salvation happens over a long period of time, but but there is a sense in which it does, right? That we have been saved, that we are being saved, and that we finally will be saved. That's what the theologians call uh, justification, the initial act of salvation. Sanctification, I am being saved. And then what's the final one? That I will be saved. Glorification, okay? That I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Okay? As, uh, I think it was... John Newton once said, you know, I'm not what I once was, okay, but praise God. Or, or I, I'm not what I will be, okay, but praise God, I'm not what I once was. And there's more to it than that. And it was really catchy, but that's all I can come up with. Uh, <laughs> all right, here's your three blanks. Uh, first, in summary, and these are the three blanks. Let me give you the three blanks, and then you can just put those three words up in the summary blank. So, first, check to make sure that they understand the gospel. Okay, again, you don't want to give them a false assurance. They're constantly depending on, hey, Jeff told me that I was saved, so I'm saved. Okay, Don't give them a false assurance. Help them to understand what the gospel means. Secondly, pray for them and instruct them in praying the gospel. And then thirdly, follow up. Meet with them. Ask about their involvement in the local church and their discipling relationships. Okay, So check, pray, and follow up is your in-summary blank. And we'll have to save the next one for next time. Any questions or comments? Yes. 
Yep. Yeah, I mean, the parable of the soils in Mark 4, same sort of idea that there will be seed falling on various, falling on various grounds and there will be signs of life initially, but then it gets choked out by the thorns or one didn't have the roots down deep enough and so it's you know, gone. It, for us, we say, wow, that person's a Christian. They're growing, but they never showed any fruit. They didn't get to the place where they're bearing fruit, some 10, some 20, some 40, whatever the different numbers are. But, but that's, the, that's the thing that we're looking for. We're looking for fruit. So, um, yeah, we want to encourage them to that end because there can be, a, uh, there will be many who are confused about that, about their own, their own condition because they didn't um, ever bear fruit. And part of that is just making sure that they get into a good church and commit themselves to that. The church bodies, you know, now starting to look at them, evaluate them, and we're we're doing the same for each other. This mutual encouragement and challenging. Uh, so that they're moving on to the next level of glory in their spiritual life. And as a result, yes, we start to weed out, so to speak, um, the wheat and the tares. But ultimately, we won't know till the end when the whole harvest is brought up, which is actually at the judgment time. You're gonna, Jesus is going to take the wheat and the tares, have them all separated, and then the tares are going to be burned up and the wheat are going to be put in the storehouses. So, um, you know, there is a sense in which we do our best to understand who we can tell from our perspective are Christians, and that's part of the job of the church and the congregation. But there's another sense in which we can't ultimately know people's hearts. Okay, So we just encourage them. You need to persevere and uh, tell them that from the beginning so that they're not confused about that later on in life. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank You for the helpful conversation that we were able to have here about uh, sharing the Gospel and about uh, our personal testimony and about responding to people with questions and helping them to respond rightly to Your Word. And we pray that ultimately we would reveal Jesus to them. They they need nothing uh, more and, and we needed nothing more than to know Jesus and to respond to Him rightly. And so we pray that You would help us in that with with our goal in this task. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.